Welcome to episode 75 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is fully embracing the summer lifestyle, John th- Scott Sloat. I think that's fair, although we haven't had cicadas yet here. This is true. It seems like the rest of the country is is drowning in cicadas. Yes. I, I was reading something about cicadas recently that um, – I tried to explain why do why does my neighbor have them but I don't, and it had something actually to do with like tree foliage and that sort of stuff. Hmm. So, you know, my house doesn't have a lot of trees. Yeah, mine either. So I, I I might be okay in terms of not having a large number of of have, cicadas. Have you thought much about the life cycle of a cicada? Seventeen years. Seventeen. That's an old bug. <laughs> That's just a very very old bug. It is. It is. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've seen news reports of them being in the Washington D.C. area in particular. I think they're out in oh, full yeah. force. Oh, the the news media is feels like they're reporting about them every every other articles about the cicadas. Yeah. So seventeen years ago, where were you? Two thousand. I've been two thousand four. Summer two thousand four. Yeah, we had just moved to Pittsburgh, so I was living in North Pittsburgh. Uh, I was uh, getting ready to be a junior in high school. Okay, and what? Did you experience a cicada outbreak? Not that I remember. Okay. Yeah, not that I really remember. All right. Do you remember 17 years ago in the cicadas? Well, I was in the – I would have been in, let's see, second year of my PhD program. Okay. So you were inside for the majority yeah, of the Yeah, I time. barely <laughs> saw the daylight. <laughs> I was spending long hours in the library hmm. in those days. And the cicadas did not make it into the library, I assume? No, they did okay. not. So they're, they're massive creatures. They are large. Um, it's, it's a wild – I mean it's an old bug. 17 years is old for a bug. It is. It is. And then people are eating them. Have you seen this? Well, I'm not surprised by this, but yes, I have. Have you come across any particularly interesting ways of serving them? I mean, I saw, can you smoke them? I don't know. I haven't seen that. Um, I have seen uh, people are doing fettuccine alfredo uh, with cicadas, which I think just goes to prove a point that if you cover anything in enough alfredo sauce, right. it's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's somewhat equivalent to bacon in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like you wrap, you wrap enough bacon around something and you can probably make it palatable. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I think I've seen bacon wrapped cicadas. And- <laughs> <laughs> for the fancy ones out there, the prosciutto or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Prosciutto wrapped. Well, if you would like to connect with the show, there are multiple ways to do this. You can find us on Twitter at V&SPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Various and Sundry Podcast. You can give us a like and a follow. We are also available on YouTube, so you can go subscribe there. And of course, we would love for you to leave a review and a glowing five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you access the show. Yep, particularly Apple. Yes, that would be especially helpful. Or just tell somebody else to listen. Like an email I got this week was uh, tagging me in with some – students at a university and they were just like, hey, and you should listen to his podcast, The Various Society, which was a lovely oh. plug from uh, 
former grad former graduate Ryan uh, Stainfield. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. What is going on in the world of sports, John? Um, well, we're, we're knee deep in the NBA playoffs right now. Uh, that's going on. My Knicks got eliminated. Yes. Uh, which I think we all saw coming. I don't, I was hopeful that they'd win the first round. Uh, but they ran into Trey Young, who uh, seems to be blossoming uh, during this time. He is auditioning to become the new Reggie Miller. Yeah. The new villain. That, oh, for for the Knicks specifically? Well, in particular, but even the – I mean even they played in Philly yesterday and uh, you know, he, he's clearly embracing the I want to be the villain. Mm-hmm. I want to be the guy that everyone is just going to boo like crazy when I go and he's into gonna your – he's going to feed room, off it. And I'm going to light you up yeah. and you know, revel in that. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Uh, I can see that. Yes. So Knicks are done. Lakers done. Yeah, that was surprising. Uh, well, once AD got injured, I yeah, think that, that was, was when it. that was it. Yeah, when it was over. So um, let's see what else is going on here in in the playoffs. Uh, let's talk about probably the strangest playoff series in the first round: Clippers Mavs. For the first time in NBA playoff history. The road team won the first six games of that series. <laughs> That's never happened before. Wow. Bizarre. That's wild. And then, of course, the Clippers won game seven on their home floor. But uh, that series tended, I think, even further elevated uh, Luka Doncic's uh, status. Like, yeah, the mythos surrounding yep, him. Yep. He just needs some help. Yeah. There's just nothing – Else well, there it certainly didn't come from Porzingis. No, no, no. They need to go out and get uh, maybe a Bradley Beal, mm. or imagine if they could pair him. Uh, if, they, if they could pair uh, uh, Luca and uh, Damian Lillard, Blazers that, were also eliminated. That'd be incredible. That could be a combo yeah. that could win something. Um, I will say in in. New York Knicks land, uh, the conversation has quickly turned to free agency. And it feels like every free agent is on the Knicks radar right now. Uh, if, if you listen to the to the Twitter and the blogs, which I you read. Do. I read. <laughs> I don't necessarily believe everything I read. So I see. But the other, the other team is like teams in the mix for this player and Dame Lillard's up there, you know, these guys. It's like New York Knicks, L.A. Lakers. And that, think, that's how you get clicks. But doesn't Dame have a few more years on his contract, I think? I, I didn't think he was like – and a uh, a guy that's going to be coming available. No, no, it was a trade target. Oh, okay, is, is my understanding. Gotcha. I can't see Portland trading him until maybe his last year of his contract. Yeah. they're they're not going to get they're not going to get rid of him. Well, I think he's involved in the coaching search. I think I think he maybe endorsed somebody recently, and somebody else dropped out because of that endorsement. Something yeah. something like that. So let's uh, let's talk as well about um, the Nets. They managed to uh, win Game One of their second round series against Milwaukee, even though James Harden left the game about a minute in and has re-injured his hamstring. Yeah, which that doesn't sound good. Uh, no, 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 no. Hammies don't tend to heal very quickly, and he's already had issues with that. So um, that that could be. The end for him in the playoffs. 
Yeah, but still, I think the most important person on the court is Kevin Durant. If Durant's on the floor, I think they've got a good shot. Yes, I think they could still win the NBA title without Harden. Mm-hmm. Between him and and uh, and Kyrie and um, and Joe Harris, Blake Griffin, like they got good names there. And and here's the thing: like those are guys that are really good if they're your fourth or fifth mm-hmm. or sixth mm-hmm. player. They're not guys that you want as your one or your two in terms of your one or two best players. But if they're your fourth or fifth best player, you probably got a pretty good team. Yeah. Joe Harris is a lot of fun. I yep. mean, just just a specialist, does his thing mm-hmm. and uh, and gets on. Blake Griffin feels like he was, a, he was supposed to be a star in the league and just sort of never developed into that. Well, he was kind of a star with the Clippers when, during his run there. Yeah, but they never put it together. I think if they had put it together, him and Chris Paul, I yeah. really think it could have been something. You know, I think that would have elevated him a lot sure. and it, it just seemed to miss. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And then uh, the Hawks stunned the Sixers in game one of that second round series. Uh, that was yesterday. Yeah, high scoring affair. I turned that on at halftime and like Atlanta was up 20 yeah. And the Sixers came all the way back and had it within two with like nine seconds left. Mm-hmm. Furious rally, but uh, Hawks hung on. So it'll be interesting to see how that how those series uh, develop. In the West now, you've got two series. I think both of them should be interesting. You've got um, Jazz Clippers and Suns. Nuggets. I think both those series. Yeah, both will be those will be fun. Yeah. Let's move on to the world of baseball, John. What's going on with your beloved Mets? Um, I think we're th- three and a half, four and a half games up in the East, so first place still. And we just did a series split in San Diego, so we okay. we two and two with uh, the Padres, widely considered the best team in the majors. So, um, other things going on with the Mets. Jacob Degrom's ERA through nine starts is like point six two. Um. It's exciting. <laughs> that is exceptionally low, yes. It's it's pretty exciting. So it's uh, – yeah, I'm seeing graphics with him, Bob Gibson, and Pedro Martinez from yeah. their best seasons up there, which is, which is really, really cool. Um, the other big thing going on in baseball that I mentioned before the pod is there seems to be an epidemic of pitchers putting substances on the ball – now they do this so they get a better grip and spin right. the ball more. It has more action. Yeah, does more things. Make it very very difficult to hit. Yeah. Um, yes, and that seems to be all over the majors right now. Okay. Uh, to the point where, in in like a week and a half, the MLB is stepping in and saying no more, and they're having umps do four or five checks a game hmm. to make sure that they're not uh, okay. They're not using these substances. Rob Manfred's not messing around. No, he's not. Um, Okay, I've I've seen some comparisons to like this is the steroid era. No, no, no. This is that's no, pretty different. This is pretty different. Well, and if you if you know anything about the history of baseball, this has always been going on at some level. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be way more um, prominent. Like basically, pitchers would get away with it, and there would be sort of the wink, wink. Well, we all know that you know these guys are putting unbelievable amounts of junk on the ball. And, uh, you know, that eventually became frowned upon and they kind of cleaned it up a little bit. But then just pitchers got sneakier and 
Baseball has always been a game of cheating. Yes. Sign steal. You know, it, now there are acceptable cheating, right? <laughs> and then there's unacceptable yeah. cheating in baseball. Yeah, now, which now, is, we're, now we're to the unwritten rules of baseball, which are dumb. Are, I, I agree. I agree. I think some of them are dumb, but but like sign stealing, I think is an acceptable form of cheating. I think banging on a trash can using a center field camera to tell the batter <laughs> what pitch is coming is not an acceptable form of okay. cheating. Yeah. Yeah. So like, can we agree on the fact that it's dumb that, uh, you know, unwritten rules of baseball address things like um, bunting to break up a no hitter? Like that's frowned upon, obviously. Yeah, I, I think that's that's dumb. Yeah, or swinging on a, at a three zero pitch when you're up, you know, or stealing a base when, when you're, you're up, up like twelve nothing. Yeah, or something yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, those kind of things. I agree. I think those okay. things are dumb. Yeah. In any case, that's what's going on in the world of baseball. So drama, drama, all the drama. Yes. Now, uh, it is the summer. And as part of our summer tradition, you just threw down your pen on the table. I did like, very like dramatically, you, like, you, like you have some beef. <laughs> very dramatically, yes. Um, as is our summer tradition, we have selected a book that we're reading through. We've announced this the last few episodes, and that book is Jesus the Great Philosopher: Rediscovering the Wisdom Needed for the Good Life by Jonathan Pennington, and we have. Encourage you to read the first three chapters. Yep. Because that's what we're going to talk about here this week. We will be discussing uh, about 50 pages a week for the next, for this episode, two episodes after that. And then the fourth week, when we will have finished the book, that's when we will air our interview with Jonathan Pennington. Yeah. Which we're recording next week. Yeah, I can't remember. I it's think coming so. up. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, about the book and um, why Why is Pennington writing this book? You know, there, there, that, that's always a question that I think can be helpful to try to figure out why is the author writing this? So what's your take? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> good question. Um, he's had two or three books come out surrounding the idea of human flourishing, which mm-hmm. is certainly a central – topic in this book. Yep. Um, why he's chosen that, I, I think that's a good question for him and something that, that I wanted to ask him about was what has gripped you about this topic because um, he's done this book. He's done he's done a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine he's seeing this crop up in the Gospels as he's studying it and uh, seeing it as a neglected piece uh, that the church needs. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that uh, – I mean in one sense, I think uh, Pennington's just a kind of a broad thinker. Yeah. And so even though he is a biblical scholar, he is very much an intellectual and appreciates the larger intellectual tradition. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're onto something when, when you note his interest in the whole concept of human flourishing and trying to, I think, help – people see how the Bible addresses those issues and how it's in conversation with other attempts mm-hmm. to answer those particular questions. So so the first uh, chapter where he kind of lays out um, 
some, something of the uh, he calls it philosophers, martyrs, and canoes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he tries to make the case for the fact that from the earliest days of the church, Jesus was perceived as a philosopher. Yeah, he talks about that church that uh, was was discovered, mm-hmm. uh, and how they had paintings on the wall of the different roles that Jesus sort of fulfills, and one of them was uh, a philosopher. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, one of the one of the things that I that I found helpful in this introductory chapter is he he talks about four things that have happened in the church as a result of uh, of the church largely abandoning philosophical language. Mm-hmm. And he, he identifies those four things as um, our faith is often disconnected from other aspects of our human lives, which is very true. Oh, yeah. Um, and that we naturally look to other sources, alternative gurus, he refers to mm-hmm. them, uh, to fill that gap. And to live flourishing lives. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, third, we've stopped asking a set of big questions that Scripture seeks to answer. And then fourth, we have uh, limited our witness to the world. So any of those in particular that stood out to you? Um, well, as you know, and maybe maybe our listeners know, I've been doing quite a bit of reading on vocation and, and some of those things. I think that really connects with with number one. Yeah. Right. Right. Connecting our faith to to what we do day in and day out. Right. Um, and that we can wear uh, many different uh, many different hats in our vocation. Right. Your vocation as a as a father. Your vocation as a husband. Your vocation as a professor. Your vocation as a church member. Your vocation as a neighbor. You mm-hmm. know, all, all these different vocations that you take up are all a part of your Christian life in some sure. aspect. So I, th- that one connected with me quite a bit. Good. Yeah. I think. The the one about alternative gurus was interesting to me in part because uh, a, a large part of that section is about uh, Nick Offerman who plays Ron Swanson yes. <laughs> on Parks and Rec. Did you know that he had written a book before reading this part of the chapter? Uh, I knew that he had done lots of similar things. Like okay. I know he had some YouTubes maybe where he was building you mm-hmm. know chairs and, and different things kind of like his character on Parks and Rec would. Right. But – yeah, apparently he's written a book entitled Paddle Your Own Canoe, One Man's Fundamentals for Delicious Living. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's got his own sort of life advice in there. And it's it's interesting, I didn't realize this, that apparently he grew up as a, was it Catholic? Yeah. And yeah. then um, claims to have had some kind of evangelical or born-again experience like his first freshman year in college or something, but that he's essentially walked away from that and now has a pretty strong chip on his shoulder against the church, against Christianity. So, Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can kind of see that if you've ever seen an interview with him. Uh, he's quite a crude man yes. um, in the way he speaks. Yes, yeah. So uh, – and then in chapter 2 – Pennington uh, helpfully lays out the um, just he calls it the genius of ancient philosophy, but kind of gives a very basic introduction to the major areas of philosophy, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It re- you know 
it was it was a glowing review of Greek philosophy, um, and uh, it did remind me. There was a uh, oh goodness, I can't remember who said it, but there was an early church father who said, "The Jews receive the law; the Greeks receive philosophy," mm-hmm. um, which is quite the statement. Yeah. So, I I think one of the things I appreciated most about this particular chapter was the fact that he distinguishes ancient philosophy from modern and contemporary philosophy. Oh yeah, because I I, I think he's right when he observes that most people have a very negative opinion of philosophy because it's perceived as utterly worthless for everyday life. <laughs> yes. You know, that you're debating, is that chair really there? <laughs> you know, th- these kinds of, you know, freshman and sophomore in college faux intellectual conversations that take place. Oh, yeah. And he tries to make the point that in the ancient world, philosophy was a way of life mm-hmm. rooted in larger issues of you know metaphysics, understanding the nature of reality, on on understanding how do we know things. Like so, it's a way of life founded on those like huge questions. And his point is that basically what's happened in modern and contemporary philosophy is that the so what the everyday life application of it has disappeared. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, when people hear philosophy, they think of these esoteric kind of intellectual questions that have no real everyday impact on their life. That are really disconnected from real life. Um, And I think think that shows in like, goodness, uh, Doc, if I were to tell you your son was getting a degree in theater, you would probably be like, oh my goodness, he's never going to get a job. Signing up um, for a life of poverty. Yep. Yes, uh, and there's kind of a kind of a similar thing with philosophy, right? If if you have a if your son were to major in philosophy, you'd be like, okay, how is philosophy going to pay the bills um, right. at, the, at the at the end of the day? And I'll, I'll never forget, uh, my parents were moving, oh goodness, from Pittsburgh to Tennessee, maybe I, I can't remember. They moved so much, um, but they had movers come over. I remember talking to the guys. They were all probably two three years older than me. I was still in college. Mm-hmm. And I, they all said, yeah, we went to college. I was like, where'd you go? They said, this is, you know, and what did you guys major in? They were all, I think there were three theater majors and one philosophy major. <laughs> and they were all uh, professional movers now. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's certainly the reputation. And then we need to move on here. But that the third chapter, which I think is interesting, is, is Pennington then – tries to help you see how the Old Testament addresses those four areas of philosophy yeah. and has answers mm-hmm. for the big questions that philosophy asks and how they connect to everyday life. Yeah. The, it was it was a really good chapter and the chapter following it is what the New Testament uh, the New Testament Correct. answers those questions. So Yeah, so for next episode, we will discuss the next 3 chapters. So let's go chapter – yeah, that's one, two, three. So chapters four, five, and six. Yep. That's what we'll cover on the next episode. So we encourage you to – if you haven't yet, go ahead and grab a copy of that. It's a fun read. It's a good read. He he mixes in a lot of cultural references and it's just – it's well written. Even if you're like, I'm just not into philosophy, you can still enjoy this book a lot. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Okay. The time has come, John. Okay. Yeah. Are are you ready for this topic for today? I think so. Yeah. Okay. As ready as I'm going to be. Okay. Because 
I'm excited to see where we line up on this. Okay, because uh, I, I, we're gonna we have the potential to step on on the toes of of one of your favorite people. So, gonna be careful. Poten- here. Yeah, I'm. I'll probably be more gracious to him than you will. I think. <laughs> Maybe. Oh goodness. So, um, last week. Uh, was it last week? I think it was last week or towards – or about a week ago. Uh, your boy. Timmy K. Timmy K. Yep. Tim Keller tweeted out a controversial tweet. And let me read, let me read the, uh, the, the original tweet. God's reckless grace mm-hmm. is our greatest hope. Mm-hmm. That was the original tweet. Um. It caused a minor firestorm on Twitter among certain types of people. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Shocker. Uh, on Twitter? What? Twitter? Controversy? What? Surely you just. Yes. So uh, then he issued a um, a rejoinder, mm-hmm. a response. Uh, for those having trouble with the word reckless, the Cambridge Dictionary de- – oh, sorry. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, the Cambridge Dictionary definition is helpful. God did not worry about the risks that his grace would cost. Mm-hmm. That still did not um, uh, quell the uh, the firestorm. He issued another tweet regarding reckless. Points on all sides are well taken. The older, more poetic meaning of the word is to not count up or reckon. Uh, and then he gave a quote from uh, Tolkien. Uh, Shrill and clear he crowed, wrecking nothing of war nor of wizardry. Okay, that's that's definitely good old Tolkien that's, language. Yeah, that's, that's some old English there. Yeah. Uh, so basically saying it's a synonym with lavish. The more modern word means to be irresponsible. So basically part of his defense was – I was using it more in the classic or older mm-hmm. sense than the contemporary sense. So we went back and forth a little bit, texting, exchanging yeah, uh, just yeah. briefly. And this is something that uh, – th- th- this whole idea of reckless th- is not just about Timmy K because, mm-hmm. of course, there's a well-known contemporary worship song. Sure. Which refers to God's love as reckless. Reckless. It is uh, the song is called "Reckless Love," mm-hmm. and as part of the chorus, there's a line: "Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God." So, there's been already debate about whether we should refer to God's love as reckless, whether we should sing that song in our churches or worship. Sure. Contexts. So, John, I will start with you. Should we refer to God as reckless? Um, or would you like to give any qualifiers before we actually answer that question directly? Well, so uh, the song "Reckless Reckless Love" I, is is from a from a group of musicians in Bethel uh, mm-hmm. Bethel Music. Yep. Um, these would be uh, a group of – this is a group of churches that, that we probably would not share much in common with, right? 
Uh, I think you can remove that probably. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They would uh, have the cloud of glory descending on their services. Have you you heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and and it's a gold cloud of somehow that they worship and people are – it's – their Wikipedia page is ultra charismatic. Yeah. Uh, which is not a term I'd come across before. Maybe hyper charismatic was yeah. the term. But uh, don't so forget the grave sucking. The the what? The grave sucking. Are you not familiar with this? The grave sucking? Yes. Uh, no, I'm not familiar <laughs> with this. <laughs> Where they basically they lay on the grave of someone, and like uh, there's some significance to that of like bringing back the uh, not not bringing not resurrecting the person, but like bringing back their spirit or something. Like it's it's bizarre. It's, What's the sucking part? <laughs> I, think, I think they're just them just laying on, like maybe breathing in, like. Oh boy! So no, I had not heard that. Okay. I'd heard uh, angel feathers appear, yep, yep. and balls of energy uh, that they think are angels. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, so, so bizarre. So I have my song. I have my issues with that band generally. Before okay. we even get to the song, reckless. Right. Um, I have concerns that not a lot of. Thought has gone into that imagery or, or even into the verbiage. Okay. Um, I do feel differently about Tim Keller's tweet. I'm still not crazy about the word. Okay. Um, but I can at least see what he's getting at and going, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> the uh, I did I did Google that tweet. Uh, it's in the introduction to Prodigal God. It's a direct quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it comes from his book, Prodigal God. So uh, it does feel like this could be an intern who copied and pasted this for Tim Keller and now he's out having to defend a, the la- – I believe the last line of his introduction uh, to Prodigal God. So, OK. So I, I feel like I can't equate these two things, the song Reckless Love and Tim Keller's tweet. OK. Even though they use the same word. I imagine you disagree. <laughs> um, well – I would just suggest that it is reckless of Tim Keller <laughs> to use this term in the contemporary sense of the term reckless. Sure. Um, which uh, can be defined as without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. I Look – I get what Timmy K is trying to say. Mm-hmm. I think it's an incredibly poor choice of words. And I think that it's him falling prey to a desire to be edgy. Be a little edgy, a little thought-provoking. And I know you said it's in the prodigal God. I get it. So, okay. So we can date it from a book that was 10 years ago. I think it's like 15 years ago. now. It's been out for a while. So I, I get it. But I also get that um, when people hear the term reckless today, they don't mean it the way Tim Keller wants you to hear it. Right? I, I, yeah, yes. I totally agree with that. And that's that's my like, all right, Tim, I understand what you're doing. I understand what you're saying. I still don't think it's a wise move. OK. OK. Because I, I just think, you know. This is an extreme example. I'm not saying it's on the same level as what Keller has done, but it's comparable. If I were to say, I think every Christian should be gay. You mean happy? 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. But that's not how that term is understood in contemporary no. discussions or culture. No. Like the only way someone hears that as a reference to someone being happy is if you contextualize it. Or if it's in a Christmas song. <laughs> right. Or if it's clearly something like, oh, well, that came from, that was written 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. Of course, it doesn't mean homosexual. It means sure. happy. And so I just think um, – I think it is – it's just irresponsible. As much as I appreciate Tim Keller, I, I think that he's smart enough also to know how contemporary culture hears the term reckless. Mm-hmm. That when I say reckless, it's almost never immediately understood as, oh, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It means someone – you know, like you think – well, if I say apply the term reckless to a noun, we think of reckless driving, right? Oh, absolutely. Not yeah. good. Not good. A criminal charge of reckless driving. So I just think there are other ways to say what he wants to say. But my biggest criticism of Timmy K in that is that tweet was literally just what I read. No context, no explanation, sure. no framing, just – our only hope is God's reckless grace. And you know, if, if that was at the end, if that was the last sentence mm-hmm. of two or three sentences before it where he prepared you for that to understand it the way he understands that term, that's one thing. So it's I see it as different than being at the end of his introduction to his prodigal God book mm-hmm. because he set you up for it by the time he gets to that sentence. To understand it in a way that is probably a little different than you yes, naturally he does. understand it. He does. He goes on to explain it for maybe a paragraph or something without drums, you know. <laughs> yes. Who would have thought that being in here? I don't in know the if summer, everybody can hear that on yeah, the pod, we've got, but there's we've, there's drums right beneath us somehow. I thought students drummer, were gone. Yeah. Well, maybe it's one of our faculty. <sighs> Perhaps. You know, I know who it, I'm I have a good guess as to who it is. Who is it? It's probably the son of one of our faculty. Who is a? I had that thought as well. Yeah, who's a, a drummer. In any case, a, f- a son of one of our tall faculty. Very tall. Yes, very tall. So, um, it, I think, again, I don't want to crush Tim Keller. He's done a lot of terrific things. He's written terrific books, and he's said a lot of helpful things. But uh, I think this was unwise in this particular instance. Um, I agree. I do. I still think there's a difference between what he does in this tweet and what the song "The, Reck- the Reckless Love of God" or whatever the title of that song. is. I think it's just called "Reckless Love." Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I think part of my my concern is I want to contend it matters how we talk about God, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that we only have to use words found in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because we use the word Trinity, for example, and that word is not found in the Bible. So we don't have to be completely um, biblicist in our view where it's like, well, if that word's not found in the Bible, we should not use it sure. to talk about God. That's not the point. Uh, but I think it's it's important to note at the end of the book of Job, why is God angry at Job's friends? He says they're angry because you did not speak what is right about me, hmm. unlike Job. So even though Job complained, 
Job didn't say anything that was not true of God. Mm -hmm. And the friends, God is saying, you did not speak rightly about me, Hmm. and now I'm angry at you. Hmm. Not suggesting God is angry at Tim Keller. (laughs) But I am saying, I'm bringing that verse to bear. It's it's Job 42.7 is to say, it matters how we talk about God. It matters that we're careful in what we say about God. And it matters, especially in the context of using terminology in our culture that is easily misunderstood or more commonly used in a, in a way that could lead people to misunderstand what we're saying about God. And when uh, to, to further this point, uh, I do think we live in an imprecise age when it comes to defining the divine. You know, uh, like it's just like, well, what is God? You know, mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. You know, and I, I think the Bible does give us some precision uh, that that we can uh, that we can say some things precisely about God. That uh, you know, um, you know, if we replaced reckless with lavish, or yep. you know, um, mounding up treasure for extravagant, so that, uh, yeah, yeah, th- those would be wildly acceptable yes. and applauded. Yes. So. Do better, Timmy K. Do better. That's the takeaway, right? <laughs> and don't sing reckless love in your church. And he's getting old. It's it's you know it's 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 old age. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna throw it throw it on that. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna throw it on that. Do you think we should sing reckless love in our churches? No, no. I don't think we should sing any Bethel music in our churches. Okay, I agree. I agree. All right. Um, anything else you want to add on that, or are you ready to move on to no. our athlete? We we should do an episode on uh, Bethel uh, sometime. Maybe uh, to talk about what? Just how goofy they are? Or? I don't know. Maybe, maybe we watch some uh, some angel feathers appear, or a, you know, a gold cloud, or something. I don't know. Just just a thought. Okay. I, I've known students that have come from grace and gone to their school of supernatural healing. Yeah. So so it, so it is something we should we should talk about potentially. We'll, we'll put that under advisement. Okay. 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 I realize this is not a planning session for our future it is not. future episodes, no. but no, but we we have those high powered sessions with uh, usually tacos of some kind. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Quesadillas. Yes, twenty sixth Street. Twenty sixth Street Grill. Mm. Oh. The, I'll tell you what, my my wife has started making quesadillas at home. Yeah, that rival those. Mm. They are fabulous. Now is she trying to like get to that level? Because there was a cheeseburger soup incident of like <laughs> – There was the cheeseburger in- soup incident, yes. Um, yeah, I-, I would suggest that these are on par with what uh, – I mean th- they're a little different. So, But if you forced me to choose between having one or the other – and I'm not just saying this because I'm married to one of the people involved. I would go with my wife's. OK. She's figured it out. They're wow. delightful. OK. They're delightful. So – Speaking of things that are delightful, let's talk about athletes. Yeah, yeah. Um, what episode are we on here? 75. 75. Um, we have a plethora, uh, a reckless number of options here. Um, let's just not be reckless in our choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, mean Joe Green. Yes. Uh, part of the Steel Curtain. Obviously before your time, but you've seen the uh, – The commercial? The commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with, with Coke. Yeah. yeah, classic, classic. Um, Deacon Jones. Yep, defensive end for the Rams, Chargers, Redskins. Um, he was 
he's been credited with coining the expression sacking the quarterback. So they didn't keep hmm. uh, separate stats for sacks, but he coined that phrase. And I forget what year they started like making it an official statistic, hmm. but um, a, a fearsome defensive end in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, Jonathan Ogden. You remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Offensive tackle. Yeah, a yeah. little, little bit more in your uh, little, lifetime there. Yeah, in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ogden was, was real good yep. uh, for, uh, well, a little, little more than a decade. He was an anchor of that Ravens offensive Oh, line. yeah. Um, uh, Barry Zito. I had to dig to find a baseball player. Yeah. Well, Zito's a good one. Yeah. You know, he was, yeah. he was a uh, – he had a great curveball. Played for uh, – from 2000 to 2015, though, I think there was one year that he did not play, maybe 2014, for the A's and the Giants. And I can't remember if he won a Cy Young, but he won a World Series in there. With, for the, the, with the Giants. Giants. Yeah, the A's yeah. have not won a World Series right. in a long, long time. Um, but he came up uh, in that famous A's organization with uh, yeah. Billy Bean as the general manager. Um, and then do you want to do the Ohio State player? Of there? course. Um, there's really only one answer to this number for Ohio State football, and that is – Orlando Pace. Mm, the pancake? The, the 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 maker of the pancake, yes. He Do you have I, a nickname? I, I don't remember okay. him having a nickname. But he won the Lombardi Award, which is the award in college football for the best uh lineman, offensive or defensive, mm. two years in a row, which had never happened. And uh he was the most dominant offensive lineman at the college level I had ever seen. I mean, he just he came in as a freshman and he was dominant hmm. right from the start, and blocked for Eddie George during his um, uh, Heisman Trophy winning season. Hmm. That was uh, he was a remarkable, and then of course he went on to have a Hall of Fame NFL career with the Rams. Very nice. So Orlando Pace. Uh, who do you like? This is you know we're we're flush with uh, yes. with opportunity here. Okay, well uh, I'm going to put my cards on the table for you and for our listeners. Okay, we need to select Orlando Pace for one of his numbers. He he, play, he wore 75 as a player at Ohio State. For the Rams, he was number 76. Hmm. Why wasn't he 75 for the, for the Rams? Okay. You know, sometimes – feels like there's a story there. Well, yeah, it probably is. There, there was probably an existing player on the roster who wouldn't mm. give up his number. And so he started with 76 and then just, you know, okay. kept it. So, um, I I think punting Orlando Pace to next week might be okay. our best – because we're f- – I think we have more options this week than the, we will have next week? next week. Okay. Okay. Um, so for, I'm okay eliminating Barry yep. uh, Zito. Yep. Um, I'm also okay uh, getting rid of Ogden. Me too. Uh, so I, I'll leave it to you, Mean Joe or Deacon Jones. I think I'd go Mean Joe Green. Mean Joe Green. I mean, he's just part of NFL lore. Mm-hmm. Part of that steel curtain defense in the '70s with the Steelers, and he also was a cultural icon as well with the Coke commercial mm-hmm. and. So I think we'll go with Mean Joe Green. Awesome. Okay. Um, all right. One thing we like. Doc, you want to go first this sure. week? Um, I'm fascinated. You just have one word down on the show <laughs> run down here, and I don't know what it means. Ed. Yeah, yeah. What What is Ed? Okay. So. Or who? Ed. is. It's a show. It's a show. Okay. So this was a show from like 
2000 to 2005, I think, that um, David Letterman's production company put together. Okay. And it was on NBC. Mm -hmm. And it was this weird sort of hybrid show that was like part uh, sitcom, part rom-com, part uh, drama. It's the story of this guy named Ed. He's the main character. He's this New York City lawyer who um, makes a terrible mistake on a contract and costs his company millions of dollars. Gets fired. Of course. Goes home to discover his wife is having an affair with the mailman. Classic. Yes. So he's distraught. He decides, I'm going to move back to my hometown of Stuckyville, Ohio. And I'm going to go after the girl that I never had enough guts to ask out when I was a high school kid, Carol Vesey, played by uh, Julie Bowen. Okay. And so he moves back to Stuckyville to pursue Carol, buys a bowling alley, and practices law from the bowling alley. Nice. It's delightful. Huh. And um, here's my big frustration with the show, though. Because it's owned by, I think, two or three different, like, production companies, you'll never see it on a streaming service. Ah. Which is heartbreaking because I think yeah. if, if this – with all the all the content needed for streaming services, this mm-hmm. could have a like revival of interest. Interesting. But all the episodes are on YouTube bootlegged. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what brought this up this week? Uh, my wife and I have started rewatching it. OK. So. Very nice. Very funny and yet very sweet. Uh, one, it's probably one of our – it is one of our favorite television shows of all time. Hmm. Ed. Huh. I don't think I ever knew that. Um, what do you okay. got? Uh, I discovered a new podcast this week. Uh, it's relatively new. It started sort of at the end of last year. Uh, only seven or eight episodes out at this point, but really, really good. Uh, all the hacks. So, okay. so, so how to hack finances, travel, reward points on credit card, you know, just, just anything you can think of. They're, they're talking about it on there as all, all the hacks. Okay. So I've enjoyed listening to that this week. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we are your source for entertainment suggestions, podcasts, mm-hmm. old television shows, books, books, you name it, we provide it. That's why we are Various and Sundry Podcasts because mm-hmm. we talk about things like NBA playoffs. We talk about things like Jesus the Great Philosopher. We talk about is God reckless? Mm-hmm. And we talk about guys like Mean Joe Green. We are your full-service provider of all things various. That's right. So I think we're ready to call mission accomplished, don't you? I believe so, yeah. All right. So a reminder for next episode, we will be discussing chapters uh, four through six mm-hmm. in the Pennington book, Jesus the Great Philosopher. Make sure you uh, you know check in with that and um, look forward to eventually our interview with Jonathan Pennington that we will air down the road yep. in a few episodes. So – I think that um, at this point, all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later.